Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you. Um, Also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. And if you need one, please uh, don't hesitate to see me after church. And I'd love to get a copy of God's Word uh, into your hands. Have you ever asked the question, God, what do you want from me? Have you ever asked God, what do you want me to do? with my life? You know, this seems to be a common question that all of us, I'm sure, at some point have asked God. And I think many of the times when we ask God this question, God, what do you want from me? What's your plan for my life? We're expecting this grandiose response, this long uh, response from God. But yet, when we look to the Scripture and ask this question, God, what do you want from my life? The answer uh, is quite simple, actually. Here in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, we're in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And here in the verses that we'll look at this morning, Jesus gives us two images to describe His calling on all that would choose to follow Him. So in the time that we have remaining this morning, I want you to see that if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that God has called you to do two things, and that is to be salt and to be light. So if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand this morning? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of His Word. You may be seated. As Christians, we're called to be salt. Again, look at verse 13 with me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You see, in the ancient world, salt was a commodity that carried great value. And while salt has various uses in the ancient world, the primary use of salt was as a preventative. Again, there were no refrigerators in Jesus' day. A family would not necessarily, would not go down to the local market to buy meat and then go home and throw it in the deep freeze uh, in the garage. They didn't have that. 
What did they have to do? They had to use salt. They took salt and they would rub it all over the meat to help uh, slow down the decaying process. Again, salt could literally make the difference between life and death in times when fresh food was not readily available. And just as salt helps to prevent meat from spoiling, Christ has called Christians to be a preserving element within this world. Well, then what does this tell us? If we're to be salt in this, in this life and on this earth, what does this tell us about the world in which we are living? It tells us that the world in which we are living is in the process of decaying. That the world in which we live is rotten. That may be hard for some to accept, but it is true. You see, in Jesus' day, the speed at which meat decayed was directly related to the climate in which it found itself. Without quick application of salt, the meat would begin to spoil very quickly. Again, so it leads the quest to the question, what causes the rottenness that we see in our world today, the decay that we find? And again, the answer is very simple. What causes this decay in our world today? It's sin. It's sin. You see, our world is not inherently good. Again, because of sin in the world, our world is inherently evil. And our world is inherently wicked. But this has not always been the case. You open your Bible to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, and we read about a perfect world that God created. The words rotten and decay were not a part of the world's vocabulary at that time. But very quickly we get to Genesis 3 and we see sin entering into the world. And because of the fall of man, God's perfect world was affected. And God's perfect world began to experience decay. Things got so bad that eventually God decided to destroy the entire population of the world except for Noah in his family. And he did. But when Noah walked off the ark, it didn't take too long for them to fall back into sin. And once again, the world was on that path of decay. You see, left to itself, the world tends to fester. You see, the germs of sin have affected every area of our world. It's affected every area of our lives today. So what does this mean for the Christian that finds himself or herself stuck right in the midst of a world that is rotting and decaying? Again, the first part of Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. You see, there's something different about Christians in the world today. We are to be different. You see, just as Christ was different from the world in which he lived, so too are we who choose to identify ourselves as Christians, those that have followed Jesus Christ, are called to be different in this world. And this can be a challenge. It seems particularly to be a challenge for our young people today. Our young people struggle today because the world tells them that they're not supposed to be different, but that they should fit in. They should look like everyone else. They should talk a certain way. They should dress a certain way. They should act a certain way. But it's not just a struggle that young people face. Adults face it as well. There's pressure on us to fit in, 
to go along with the crowd, if you will. But again, to this I say, Scripture tells us we're not supposed to fit in. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. We are supposed to be different. And I will tell you today, if you're here today and you are a Christian and you're trying your best to fit in, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're never going to fit in in this world. It's not what Jesus has called you to do. Christ has set us apart as His people from the world. The Spirit of God which dwells within each of us has separated us from the world in its ways. Again, though God has called us not to be of the world, He never intended for us to not be in the world. Say it again. God didn't intend for us to be of the world, but He does have us in this world for a reason. Again, just as salt has to be rubbed into the meat in order to preserve it, we must allow God to rub us into the world. And just as it only takes a little bit of salt on your food to impact the flavor of that food, just a little bit of our presence in different part areas of life should have an effect. We must be salt. And it starts in our homes. Are we salt in our homes? How about in the workplace? In our community here in LaGrange? And everywhere else that our normal lives would take us, God is calling on His people to be salt. Our presence must be felt in the world today. We have to guard ourselves as Christians from insulation, insulating ourselves. Too many times Christians want to live in a Christian bubble because we think that if some way, by some way insulating ourselves, putting us in a Christian bubble, only surrounding ourselves with Christian people, that we will be protected from this decaying world. But God never calls us to insulate ourselves. We are to be salt in this world. A good way that you can ask yourself, have I insulated myself? Am I living in a Christian bubble? Ask yourself, how many relationships do I have with non-Christians? How many non-Christian people do I know and have relationships with? And be honest with yourself. Again, I can say I'm guilty. There's many times where I spend most of my time with church people. But that's not who we're called to spend all of our time with. How will we ever reach a dying world and decaying world if we don't go to it? We're to be salt in this world. We can gather from the fact that our worlds, or what can we gather from the fact that our world seems to be decaying at a more rapid pace? Well, the answer lies in the second part of that verse. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So what do we make of the fact that it seems like our world is decaying and rotting at a quicker and quicker pace? Well, maybe the world is decaying faster because Christians aren't being salt like we've been called to be. We're not being that preserving element in our society. Again, we need to be clear here when Jesus is talking about 
salt that has become tasteless. He's talking about a salt that has become contaminated. You see, in Jesus' day, the salt that they used wasn't a pure salt because pure salt cannot lose its taste. But he was talking about a salt that had some other elements mixed in that over time, it became diluted and it no longer was useful. Which then begs the question, if we or the statement that if we are not careful as Christians, it is dangerously easy for us to lose our salty and preserving influence on the world around us. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, we export our influence on those around us. But if there are more imports than exports, if there are not greater influences going out from us than coming in, we will become like the world, end quote. Another commentator stated it like this, quote, if we are not salting the world, the world is making us rot. The great tragedy is that often the world does us more harm than we do good. Say that again. The great tragedy is that often the world does us more harm than we do it good. End quote. You see, a Christian's saltiness becomes diluted when there is no distinguishable difference between us and the rest of the world. When we look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, we lose our saltiness. We lose our ability to have influence over the world. In the message paraphrase of the Bible, I like how it quotes Romans 12.2. If you remember, Romans 12.2 talks about, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The message paraphrase states it like this. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. How many of us fit into our culture today? Again, I want to ask you to consider a very difficult question. How many of our churches today in America have lost their saltiness? How many Christians today in America have just adapted to the culture And because the saltiness of their lives have been diluted, we have lost the ability to influence those around us for the kingdom of God. Church, this is serious. What happens to a church that loses its saltiness? Well, again, we can turn to Scripture and see that. If you look in the book of Revelation, very early on, The Apostle John speaks to seven churches there in Revelation. He speaks to the church at Ephesus, Pergamum, Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All at one time, great churches that served the Lord and I'm sure had impacts on their communities. But let me ask you today, are any one of those seven churches still around? No. Each one of those churches died. At some point. How about the Christian influence in North Africa? 
Did you know that North Africa used to be in the, in the early church a center for Christianity? North Africa was where the great church father and theologian Augustine ministered. It was once the center of Christianity, and yet today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is almost non-existent in North Africa. If we are not careful, if we allow ourselves as individuals and as a church to lose our saltiness, we will eventually die. We will die as a church and as individuals, we will lose our influence in our communities. Again, when a church loses its saltiness, it's destined for decay and death. So here's a question that you can ask yourself to determine if, you're, if the salt of your life still has flavor or if your salt has become tasteless. Again, one of the things that we know about salt, if you eat a lot of foods that are salty, one of the things it does is that it makes you thirsty, right? If you have a lot of salt in your mouth, you become thirsty. So if we live salty lives and we are the salt of the earth and people see that, we have to ask ourselves, do our lives make people thirsty for Jesus? Is there something about our lives that when they look at us would lead them to Christ, would lead them to want to know more about Christ? Jesus made people thirsty for God. Wherever He went, people became thirsty for Him. So are our lives so different from those around us that they would say, I want what you have. What is it about you that's so different? In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, the Bible tells us, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Church, we cannot quench the thirst of the human soul. But we know the one who can. And we can introduce people to him. Along with de declaring Christians as the salt of the earth, Jesus also says that we are to be light in the world. Christians are called to be a light in the world. Verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. At first reading of this text, it should cause us to pause because in John's Gospel, Jesus declares Himself to be the light of the world. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So which is it? Is it as Jesus says, is Jesus the light of the world? In John chapter 8, or are we the light of the world as Jesus declared? And the, and the answer to that question is, yes. Jesus is the light of the world 
and so too are we. Jesus is the source of the light. And it's in, it's in that source that we find light. We are only the light of the world in that we reflect the light of Christ. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, so too do we as believers reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, right? Jesus' statement that we are the light of the world indeed is a glorious thing. However, it suggests an equally inglorious fact that the world is in darkness. Obviously, this darkness in which Jesus, it speaks is a spiritual darkness. And the great tragedy is, is that the world actually prefers this darkness. Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, 19, verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, It is one thing to be subject to the darkness of the night before dawn, but it is quite another thing to deliberately live in caves and refuse to come to the light. End quote. You see, unfortunately, mankind prefers its own imperfect and sinful way of doing things rather than the perfect and holy standards of God. This idea that, that men love the darkness, that they love to do things their own way, it reminds me of that Frank Sinatra song, My Way. You know that song? It's a, gr- it's a great song, pleasant to listen to, but when you really think of the message, it's a guy talking about as he's come to the end of his life and he looks back over all that he's done, he did it his way right? Because that's the way, because of sin, that we choose. We do not inherently turn towards God's way, but we always go our way. As Christians, we're called to live for Christ, shining the light of Christ in a dark world, showing to the world clearly what Christ looked like. You see, we are the image of Christ to the world, which then lends us to the question, what kind of Jesus are we showing people? If we are the light of Christ, if we are the image of Christ, visible image of Christ on earth, what kind of Jesus are we presenting to the world? To be a light in this world, it's not just something that we're called to do, but it's who we are. As children of the kingdom of God, it is a part of our nature being light. It's who we are. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. See, just as a city on a hill cannot be hidden, There can be no such thing as an invisible Christian. There are no secret agent Christians in the kingdom of God. The fact that the light of Christ in us must be made visible for all to see seems like an obvious statement. 
So then why does Jesus feel the need to make this statement to his disciples and for all future disciples? And the sad reality is, is because some of us are acting as though we are secret agent disciples. How do we go about hiding the light of Christ? Well, by being quiet when maybe we should speak up. By going along with the crowd. Maybe by denying the truth for fear of backlash, particularly in a cancel culture in which we live. Letting sin dim our witness for Christ. Not sharing the truth of the gospel to others. We say that the gospel message is the greatest message known to man. Well, if you have the greatest news known to man, why would you not share it with someone else? We are so quick to share when we get the, the big promotion. We're so quick to share when our kids or grandkids you know, did well at whatever activity they were in. Which again, are good things to share. But if we're sharing those things which are good, why would we not share the greatest news of all? The good news of Jesus Christ. The world needs to see the light of Christ in us. The world needs to see how we show our love to God. The world needs to see how we show our love to one another as as brothers and sisters in Christ. The world needs to see Christian men and women loving them at their spouses. The world needs to see Christian parents that love their children and that parent them that way. The world needs to see us shining the light of Christ in the workplace. How we interact with our fellow co-workers. How we act as employees. Again, just as the lights of a city draw you in, the light in the life of a Christian should draw draw non-Christians to ask the question, what is it about you that is different? The great Welsh pastor of another generation, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, quote, Christian people, you and I are living in the midst of men and women who are in the state of a state of gross darkness. They will never have any light anywhere in this world except from you and from me and the gospel we believe and teach. They are watching us. End quote. Verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus has called us to be light in this world, but not so that we can draw attention to ourselves, but so that we might point others to Him. You see, we know the way to forgiveness. We know the way to salvation. And His name is Jesus. Our job is to let the world see the light of Christ in us as we serve the Lord in this life so that we might help lead people onto the pathway. Again, notice the fact here, when Jesus says, let your light shine, that is in the imperative tense. It is a command. It's not, hey, if you feel like it, you know, if you're having a good day and you just want to, you know, throw that in, no, 
He's saying, let your light shine. This is not a suggestion. This is not an option. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works. The implication there that we are to be about good works. As Christians, service and doing good works or good deeds should be a regular part of our daily lives. Again, for without those good works, our gospel loses its credibility. Because again, it's the old saying, what? Actions speak louder than words. Let them see your good works. And what greater joy is there in life than to know that we are living our lives in a way that is bringing honor and glory to God. For you see, that is why we are here. That is why God created us. So that we would bring glory to Him. David in Psalm 115 verse 1 said, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but what? To Your name give glory. Because of Your loving kindness. Because of your truth. Again, I love how a commentator stated it when he said, quote, Your life is what people see, but the spotlight is all God's. Not that God needs an image boost, but the focus of your witness should always point beyond you to the one you represent. Again, let me, let me say that again. Your witness, the focus of your witness, should always point beyond yourself and to the one that you represent. So, in conclusion, to the Christian today, I ask this question, are you being the salt of the earth? What kind of impact are you having on the people around you? The people in your home, your friend group, your coworkers, your colleagues, others that you bump into in the community? Are you living your life in a way that is so distinct and different from the rest of the world that people would ask you, what is it about you that's different? I would ask you today, are you letting the light of Christ shine in your life? Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? Do they know what you believe? And are you pointing others to Jesus? My dear friend, Wayne Tony here, came up to me this morning and he said, so pastor, what hymn are you going to quote today? Because I like to quote hymns as a part of the sermon. So I do have one for you today that I believe goes well Some of you may know this hymn. I remember singing this hymn as a little boy in my church growing up. It's called, Let Others See Jesus in You. I don't know if anyone knows that. It's an old one. But listen to these lines. He says, While passing through this world of sin, in others your life shall view. Be clean and pure without, within. Let others see Jesus in you. And the chorus says, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Listen to the second verse. It says, your life's a book. 
before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? In the last verse, because you know, good Baptists go one, two, and four when they sing a hymn. So, it says, Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Are we living our lives for the glory of God? If you cannot answer that question with a resounding yes, then I would invite you in this time that we're about to enter into an invitation to take time to pray. Take the time to recommit yourself to the Lord, to be the salt of the earth, to be a light. I love how Kent Hughes ended his section of his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount when he challenges us to, quote, let us covenant with all our being to shine as brightly as possible in this dark world. Let us covenant to expose ourselves to the face of Jesus in prayer. And let us covenant to be visible for him. Let us covenant to shine wherever he places us. Let us covenant to do beautiful works. And lastly, let us covenant to remind ourselves that we will always be light and to live in that reality. End quote. To anyone here today or watching online or listening over the radio that maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to do that today. Because see, you may not realize it, but you are walking in darkness. You see, you may think that you're living your best life now and that you have everything that you could ever want, but the problem is is that the road that you're on is a dead-end road. It really is, and there is no hope on that road to be found. But today, I want to offer you the opportunity to come. I want to offer you the opportunity to come to the one who wants to offer you unconditional love. I want to invite you today to come to the one who can forgive you of your sins. And he is the only one that can forgive you of your sins. Let me make it clear. Christ is the only person. I cannot forgive you of your sins. No one in this room can forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus Christ can forgive us of our sins. And I want to invite you to come to the one today who would offer you eternal life. And it's so easy. It's so easy. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 13, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what does it say? Does it say you might be saved? No, it says you will be saved. And in verse 13, it says, some that call on the name of the Lord? No, it says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, whomever would call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. This time 
that we're about about to enter into is a time for you to respond to God's word. Whatever that may be, now is the time. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you now, God. For the believer today, Father, who maybe has lost some of their saltiness, who's maybe struggling to be light, God, would you re-energize us today? God, would we, re, would we recommit ourselves, God, to be salt and light in the places where you have placed us? God, to the person today who does not know you, maybe, Lord, as their Savior and Lord, but God, you're speaking to their heart, maybe even in this moment. Would they be bold enough to come and say yes to you? May you be glorified in this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Turn your